Finton Cerf is Vice President and Chief Internet Evangelist for Google. He's been involved in Internet technology right from the very start. Ten years ago, the Open University interviewed him for a series called TheWebStory.com. His involvement with Internet technology started in the 1960s, when he was working on a computer networking project funded by the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, ARPA. He is widely known as the father of the Internet. Well, I think people have gotten a little carried away. You know, the, at least in our culture, there seems to be a need to focus a lot of attention on just one or two people. That's not right. There are many fathers of the Internet, depending on how far back you want to go in the evolution of the technology. At UCLA, I was a graduate student along with Steve Cocker, John Postel, Bob Braden, and a number of others, all working for Professor Len Kleinrock, who had the Network Measurement Center at UCLA. And so our job was to put uh, the first computer up on the ARPANET, uh, and particularly the one that did network measurement. The ARPANET was a network of computers set up in 1969 to link research departments in universities around the United States. The big challenge was to get the different computers to talk to each other. No one was really in charge of the development of the host protocols to connect computers up to the underlying network that Bolt, Baranek and Newman was building. And so the graduate students just sort of gravitated to try to work on that. Uh, we always expected uh, that someone would come out who was professional and would run the show. Steve Crocker, who was my good friend then and still is, uh, ran the network working group. And uh, we always expected that uh, somebody from the East Coast would, would show up to tell us what to do, but they never did. So we just went off and did the best we could. Protocol uh, is, of course, it's a diplomatic term. It's something that you establish an agreement between countries, and that's called a protocol. It also turns, turns out to come from the Greek word protocolon, which was the uh, table of contents of a scroll. Well, we stole that word for computer communication conventions because packets of information that computers exchange have little headers on them to say where they're going and where they came from and how much there is in that piece. So we called the procedures computer protocols. They are simply conventions for communications between computers. To get information between the various computers that formed the ARPANET, the data was chopped up into small packets. The packet-switching protocols Vint and his colleagues devised enabled the packets to be sent by different routes and recombined at the other end to recreate the original data. When the first wide-area packet-switch network was being built, the ARPANET, there was uh, some uncertainty whether it was going to work at all. That actually worked out quite well. It was a very powerful and useful tool for the computer science departments that were part of that system. Uh, in fact, the packet switching was so successful that we, uh, at ARPA anyway, uh, decided it would explore using packet switching in radio and satellite communication. That led to the development of a mobile packet radio network and an Atlantic satellite net that linked the U.S. to Europe uh, using packet switching technology. Well, once those projects were underway, Bob Kahn, who was at ARPA at the time, realized that these networks would ultimately have to be interconnected to each other. And we didn't have any protocols, no procedures, no conventions that would allow computers that were on different networks to smoothly intercommunicate with each other. That led to the Internet project, which Bob started at ARPA around 1970, late 72 or early 73. And he posed that problem to me when I was at Stanford in March of 73, and we worked together on solving that problem. How could computers on different networks communicate with each other uniformly? And that led to the design of what is now called TCP IP.
this really was a back of, a, of the envelope moment. I was sitting in uh, San Francisco in a hotel lobby waiting for some session to start at a uh, conference and had a, an envelope in my pocket and I pulled it out and I was just sketching what the implications were of the architecture that Bob and I had talked about, eventually leading to what we call gateways and are today called routers. And so in a sense, the system's basic architecture was forced on us because we weren't allowed to change any of the networks themselves. We had to work outside of them and then figure out a way to achieve uniformity. So that little sketch, which is long since lost, I had no idea it was an important sketch at the time. It was just getting my thoughts in order. Uh, was the beginning, at least for me, of understanding how the structure would work. TCP-IP was one of the great technological breakthroughs of the 20th century. It allowed the Internet to become what it is today. The uh, easiest way to understand how the Internet works is to think of uh, Internet packets as electronic postcards. They have, just like postcards, they have a to address and a from address, and they have a finite amount of content on them. And the fact that they're electronic means that they go through the system about 100 million times faster than a postcard goes through the post office. But they behave just like postcards. They don't necessarily arrive in the same order that they were sent. Uh, they might not even arrive on the same day. Some of them get lost. That's true of the Internet packets as well as postcards. And so if you think about Internet packets as postcards, you have a pretty good model. To understand TCP, you need a little bit more thinking. Suppose you were sending a novel to someone, and the only way you could send it was by sending postcards. So you cut the pages of the novel up, put them on postcards, then you realize you have to number the postcards in order to, to let the party at the other end put them in the right order. Then you'd wonder, you know, if some of them got lost, you'll have to retransmit them, so you'll keep copies to send. Then you realize that you need to find out whether you need to send any uh, copies, and you, you have acknowledgments coming back in the form of postcards, some of which might get lost. And so you have timeouts that say, if I haven't heard anything, I'll start sending copies. That's basically the way the TCP works. It essentially allows us to send novels in sequenced order on top of postcards, except, of course, we do it electronically and much faster. So the Internet is essentially a giant game of pass the packet, using a set of rules or protocols called TCP-IP. When the protocol was first used to create an inter-network from three separate networks, it was a milestone in Internet history. Well, interestingly enough, there are two big milestones, that, neither one of which uh, were very noted at the time by anybody except those of us deeply involved. In 1977, late in the year, we actually got all three of the packet radio, SatNet and ARPANET networks to function together using the Internet protocols and gateways in between. And that was very exciting for a few of us who were part of that, but not noted anywhere. We didn't call a press conference or issue a press release or anything. We just breathed a great sigh of relief. Uh, in 1983, in January, we actually insisted on the deployment of those protocols by all the computers that were part of the ARPANET uh, and satellite net and packet radio net. And that was a big moment for the people who had to get their machines up, but there were only about 200 or maybe at most 400 computers involved. Today, there are 50 million computers on the Internet, and so any such similar kind of transformation would, can't be done in a, you know, what's called a flash cut. It wasn't even a flash cut in the, in the Internet's case. Um, it took several months to get everybody up and running on the new protocols. But that was a forced change. Today you can't force that change. Uh, the only real regret I have is that I didn't uh, argue that we should have a larger address space for the Internet than we decided on. In 1977, I picked a 32-bit address space, which is enough to identify up to 4 billion things. 
it's now very clear that there will be many hundreds of billions of things on the internet in the future and we should have picked a bigger address space but at the time it was an experiment and it never dawned on me or most everyone else that we needed anything like the scale that we will ultimately require. Although he resists being called the father of the internet, Vint Cerf is one of its greatest pioneers. When he first sketched out his ideas for the TCP IP protocol, did he imagine that the internet working project would turn out the way it did? Certainly not in the form which it has ultimately materialized in. Uh, uh, Tim Berners-Lee's World Wide Web is something that's truly phenomenal at the rate at which it has been absorbed and, and adopted. Uh, we knew, however, that we were working with very powerful technology. We knew that computing uh, and the distributed programs that are around the network would be very, very powerful engines. We just didn't know exactly what they were going to do at the time. Software is sort of the ultimate clay you can make anything you want to out of software if you can figure out how to program it. And so the Internet simply underscores the possibilities by creating an endless frontier of software that sits on top of the computers and the networks that communicate. So although in detail we didn't know how this would all evolve, and economics has played a big role in, in the evolution, lower cost of networking, lower cost of computing, making it available to many more people, but I think we knew we were working with something that was very powerful and that ultimately might make a big difference. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.